Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope, wait, then I roll up my sleeve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Successfulish. I'm Sarah Michelle. And today on the podcast, I am so excited to have this very important conversation about resilience uh, with one of my favorite people, Leah Davis, who is a 20 year marketing professional serving as the director of operations at a San Diego based advertising and marketing agency called Civilian. She is an eternal optimist with a positive mindset grounded in gratitude. Much of her career has been focused on strengthening communities and inspiring meaningful change with her clients. However, she has personally persevered through several unimaginable situations, most recently with the loss of her son, Blake, in 2019. Blake's story, his life and death, has created and propelled an incredible movement of kindness called Hashtag for Blake that is spread across the nation and beyond. People around the globe are engaging in random acts of kindness and good deeds that have touched the lives of thousands. And just recently, Leah has elevated the For Blake movement by formalizing a nonprofit called Good Deeds for Blake. Contributions will continue to make an amazing impact in Blake's honor. And if you would like to know more information about that, you can go to the website forblake.org. So I met Leah what feels like a lifetime ago. We actually worked together at the ad agency that she is still at, which was my first big girl job. And Leah really taught me a lot about how to be both fun and professional and really how to be human. I had a little bit of whiplash in that role. I had grown up in an extremely conservative environment. And while I did proactively try to make friends in all walks of life, working at that agency made me realize that I had never truly learned any kind of real social skills And I remember being at my first office happy hour, Uh, advertisers live for happy hour, they know how to imbibe, and just listening to all the different conversations and realizing I had absolutely nothing to contribute. And I remember having this moment of just standing there with my one half glass of wine that I had managed to make last the entire time, and having this realization that outside of a very structured what is God doing in your life conversation, or maybe a nice friendly game of apples to apples, I genuinely had no idea how to talk to people. And what I remember about Leah was that she was always super professional, well-dressed. All of her clients loved her. She was very poised and charismatic, but also she had grown up in Laguna Beach. She was dating a bouncer. Her favorite song was Wild One. She was kind of this fun party girl. And I kind of grew up believing you had to be one or the other. And so this challenged a lot of my really ignorant preconceptions that I had and I just always greatly admired how Leah has always been just fully Leah, the professional side, the fun side, eventually the wife and mother side. She has always had a really beautiful sense of wholeness and self, and I've known her strength and resilience firsthand. So Leah, thank you for being that example for me in my early 20s and for taking the time to share your story on this podcast, because I am sure that others can be inspired by you as well. Wow, Sarah, that is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing all of those pieces. And some of them I wish I knew more about at that point in time. But I thank you for having me and for talking with me. And I think this is an important topic to cover. Absolutely. So before we jump into the conversation, what is something that you failed at this week? 
Well, maybe like a lot of people, it feels like a lot. (laughs) I think that it's really hard to juggle um, sometimes a demanding job, the deadlines of every day, going home and um, being a mom and a wife and all of the different facets of family life in conjunction with the professional world. Um, and so I know that I have absolutely um, let a few people down this week in particular. And, uh, you know, it seems like a constant battle or struggle to um, right the ship or try to keep all the balls in the air. Um, but it's it's a it's a fine it's a fine line um to keep both worlds afloat um and doing that well and uh certainly this last week i have not <laughs> yeah it it's hard to have that balance and i i think too i don't i don't know what your perspective is i feel like it's getting a little bit better post covid but I feel like it's harder when there's this pressure of believing that we can balance all of it. Like that there's such thing as a work life and a home life and a romantic life. Like we have all these separate nice little boxes and we like to pretend that they don't ever mix and overlap, which is not true. Like we're all just one Mm -hmm. big muddled mess of everything in our life. Um, Mm -hmm. how do you typically take a pulse on whether or not you need to readjust in one area or another? Well, I mean, I think it seemingly comes from, uh, the responses from the people around me. Uh, (laughs) I know, I know for a fact, I let my husband down big time, um, this last week. Um, and that's never my intention. You know, I, of course, want to make sure that I have things uh, buttoned up for the day at work. And I missed communications with him and didn't respond to him sometimes, you know, for hours, which is not appropriate when he's juggling the family or has particular things that, um, you know, he's trying to do sometimes on my behalf. And I can't, um, you know, it's it's rude. It's rude for me to not be able to afford him the time or the response um, in a timely manner to to deal with certain situations as they arise. Um, and so those things I take accountability for and I acknowledge and we try to come up with a new plan or set expectations for, you know, at least the next week. Um, but at the same time, you know, I struggle sometimes setting my own boundaries at work because I don't want to drop the ball there either. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just a continual challenge to sort of figure out what that looks like for us to have those boundaries in place to do our best, but also be realistic and know that we're human and not, not put the weight of the world on our shoulders, which sometimes I think it can feel like And I know that you have gone through a lot of circumstances in your life um, that would be difficult for anyone, uh, but you've gone through a lot of them. Tell us a little bit about your story and kind of what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, well, I feel like just, you know, there's a lot that makes 
anyone who they are. And everybody walks their own path and has their own story. Um, And I certainly have mine. Um, My parents have told me that I've lived a lot of life, um, even at a young age. Um, And I was exposed to a lot of challenges, um, maybe much earlier than others experience. And, uh, you know, it definitely has shaped who I am as a person and how I respond to everyday life. Um, But for me, it started... um, uh, like big, real, real life obstacles started early on. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, about two months in, um, my town experienced a firestorm and it took out 300 homes on my hill, including my own home. And we left our house with two cars packed, um, including our animals and drove away and our trees were already on fire. Um, And that was my first dose of reality um, was that disaster. Um, And leaving with my family, there was a moment where we stopped at the top of one of the hills in in our area, looked back to see the fire had already overtaken our whole neighborhood. And knowing at that moment, we were homeless. We didn't know where we were where we were going, and everything that we owned was in the car with us. Um, and you know, beyond that setting, a disaster, living through a disaster, and what it takes to actually rebuild your home or rebuild your life at that point in time, I don't want to totally age myself, but we didn't have cell phones, you know, and so I didn't know if I was going to see my friends again or what was going to happen. Um, there was there was news that part of our school had burned down and, you know, we didn't know where we were going to be displaced. Um, but anyway, so, you know, starting early with a natural disaster certainly framed up the things to me that mattered. And that was um, a big lesson um, in materialism or the things that you need or don't need in your life. Uh, and that was an early, er, early lesson that being a freshman in high school. Um, later on in high school, I went on to have, uh, a strange, seemingly bizarre experience where really it seemed like one day, um, my hip just stopped working, which was so bizarre. I was very active in sports. I was in cheer. I was on dance team. I had been very active my whole life. And then I had a problem where they thought that I had maybe pulled a hamstring or there was something going on with my leg. Ultimately, it led to many, many doctor's appointments um, and specialists not knowing what was going on and ultimately not walking for two years. Um, And so that was a very strange age moving from high school to college um, in, you know, not not feeling like myself, not being fully able, not, you know, there was kind of an identity um, piece there, learning how to live now with this interesting disability. Um, 
ultimately I went on to have a hip replacement very young and there's kind of restrictions with that because now living with an artificial hip um, poses its own challenges for, um, for, for, for life. Um, so disaster and then disability through my twenties, I experienced a variety of illnesses. Um, ultimately, um, some of them arthritic, some of them, um, um, with, uh, let's see, I, I ended up uh, being diagnosed with Crohn's disease after several years of not know, knowing what was going on. Um, and I was ultimately hospitalized for my Crohn's. Um, and that led to another series of issues and having to know how to care for myself or having somebody care for me. Um, I was actually hospitalized soon after I was married. Um, and it posed a lot of challenges at that point in time where my husband had to give up a lot to actually take care of me at home. And I was on a long work leave. Um, and so understanding how vulnerable you are when you're not at your best and you don't have the capacity or you don't, you don't have health on your side can be a really scary, um, experience to navigate also. Um, and then most recently, um, you know, um, I was, I was married. I ultimately, uh, we decided to have a family. Um, I had a daughter followed by a son a year and a half later. And, uh, as he seemingly a healthy baby boy at 14 months old, um, just stopped breathing at a nearby park, um, which he survived then, um, but put us on a really wild ride as caregivers to save his life. Um, and his story is definitely an incredible story. Um, but ultimately we lost him, uh, two years later and he was almost three years old. Um, so with the loss of my son, followed by one year later, the loss of my mom, um, the death of those two people really took a toll um, on how I saw the world, um, definitely my perspective, my everyday life. Um, there's just, there's a lot of variables. Someone had shared with me that life... Um, some of life's obstacles are like life's uh, big D's, disaster, disability, disease, death, divorce, um, disagreement can be in there. And I had experienced a lot of those early on um, and maybe sometimes more than others do in a lifetime. Um, but all of those pieces, I think, have contributed to how I see the world um, how I interact with people, how I operate day to day. Um, and, you know, I can still remain hopeful for the future. You know, I think I still have um, a pretty good perspective um, on how to deal with challenges, which is really, I think, the root of the resilience piece that we're chatting about today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know just in my own experience, I feel like going through situations like that, they can feel like defining moments. 
Mm. And I know for me, I almost started to feel like my entire life was painted by these various catastrophes. And I'm curious for you what that did to your identity. Did do you feel like that going through all of those things started to shape your identity? Do you feel like how how were you able to blend in the other good things, the celebrations? Because there were good things in there. You know, you you graduated and you got mm-hmm. married and all these great things. How do you take all these different significant moments in your life and start to frame your story in a way that is honorable to your identity, I guess is the best way I can phrase that question. Yeah, well, I think significant is the key word there for me. You know, if everybody were to plot out their life, they would identify those significant moments. And maybe for some people, a lot of them are positive, at least early on in life. And I have significant moments that are very positive. And I also have significant uh, points in time that are very tragic and awful. and so do other people. That's that's the thing. Um, I do feel like all of those good and bad, any significant moments or points in time do help shape who you are. Um, but I take the good with the bad. I, I definitely think um, you have to still celebrate and recognize and um and focus on the joys even if they're small joys or significant moments that are um you know accomplishments or achievements or or they are pieces of of what makes you you right so um I think it's interesting if you were to plot everybody's life out, what they would put on that timeline, but it may shift based on age. I think typically people have more positive, significant moments in their youth, but that may not, that's not always true, right? Some people's youth can be an extremely challenging time. So it depends on who you're talking to. But I think there's definitely um, always going to be good moments and negative moments on that timeline, all of which shape who you are. Um, But then there can also be times that like after, after I had lost both my son and my mom, I remember thinking what I had envisioned in my head. Like I had a painting of what my future would look like and it had completely shattered. Um, I mean, that level of grief of losing those two key people, um, I couldn't make heads or tails of a lot of what was going on at that point in time and didn't care. Um, I, I just had a hard time, you know, navigating that that section of my, of my life. But the one thing that I always believed in was my painting or this picture, this image of what I had thought in my future had shattered, but I knew that I would be able to pick up the pieces and it's now going to be a mosaic. 
that was how I thought about it. Yeah. I, I think that is really beautiful. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about how to find those moments of joy, because I remember in my mid to late twenties, um, talking to a therapist, I was going through a really painful divorce, not just from a spouse, but also from religion. It was a lot going on at once. And they did a very similar exercise of, okay, I want you to plot out all the significant moments in your life. And I realized that all of my significant moments were extremely negative and I didn't have any positive significant moments. And what I was told in that moment was you need to create positive moments. You need to be more of an active writer in your story. And I feel like that's something that you've always been very good at. You've always been very good at finding the fun in a situation and finding the joy in a situation. But when you're in the thick of it, when you're going through these things, what is your process for being able to create joy or find fun or being intentional with bringing in those good defining moments? Mm, Man, no question, depending on what the obstacle is, that can be a really hard thing to do, right? And it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not know how you're going to get out of it or what's supposed to happen next or that the next steps are unclear. Um, and it's okay to be in that space. But I have worked hard to also recognize that it is okay to find joy in those moments. It's okay to have a heavy heart or to feel an enormous pressure or an uncertainty or an unknown and still laugh at something um, if, if it's appropriate in that moment, you know? Um, And, you know, there's people that don't allow themselves the grace to do that, um, or maybe have a hard time, um, you know, or feel guilty about it. And I think that that can be really tough on your mental health. Like, Grieving is sometimes different than pushing through a challenging obstacle, but either way, the moving through it is not linear. You know, you're all over the place and you may feel very different in one moment than you do the next or one day versus the next. And it's okay to feel those different emotions and it's okay that you know, something spark joy, even if you're in a moment of darkness, both, both of those things can be true and that it's okay to allow yourself to go there. Um, It's, it's a challenging thing to, to learn how to hold space for multiple emotions. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know who started the rumor that we can only experience one feeling at a time. Um, clearly a man, someone who (laughs) has no idea what it's like to be a woman. Um, but learning how to hold space for both grief and joy at the same time, 
I feel like that is really challenging, especially in, in the situation that you were in, you also had to still be a mom. You didn't get to turn that role off. Mm. You still had this position in your career. You were still a wife. So when you are in the middle of going through grief, where you don't even know what way is up and down, but you still have to show up every day in these different roles, what was that like for you? And how did you, how did you find a way to show up in those different roles? Yeah, that's a journey. I don't think that anybody has that figure it out. Um, you, for me, I have learned to stand in my truth. I am totally okay being vulnerable. I am totally okay being open. And some people don't operate that way. Um, some people really do want to paint the perfect picture or that they are Okay. And they have it all together. And I feel that that puts an immense amount of pressure and can often be isolating and lonely for that individual. Um, that's not the route that I have chosen. Um, and because I am okay with just accepting the situation as it is and being open with others with where I am in that moment or in that situation, um, to me, it's easier to navigate. Um, but yeah, when it comes to work and needing to just be there, sometimes I too have gone through a lot of therapy and apparently I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing things. So sometimes it's good for me to be able to switch gears and focus on something different. And so for me, work was a little bit of an escape. Um, but, you know, home, we had to work through a lot of really challenging situations I think, you know, my daughter at the time um, was young, four and five, when her brother and her grandmother died, and it was very confusing. Um, my husband and I dealt with grief very differently. Um, we had different emotions and were not very often on the same page. Um, so it was a very trying point in our relationship, and we really didn't know if it, if our marriage was going to survive. And a lot of people had told us that, especially the loss of a kid is a marriage killer. Um, and, you know, we recognized that and attempted to be as supportive as we could for where the other one was, but it was often infuriating. I mean, we just were not on the same page for a lot of the time, but our daughter um, really played an amazing role for a commonality and us wanting what's best for her and helping that her navigate this uncertain time too. Because as a four-year-old, when you lose two people, one young, one grandparent, um, you know, she had to work through, do people just die? Do people not come back? You know, 
Uh, and that was a very confusing time for her too. Um, and so to have parents that were at odds with each other wasn't helping the situation. Um, but um, she is a very special child and she was definitely food for our soul um, and um, and very important in our in our journey and our and our relationship uh, still being intact, definitely. But I do feel like for, you know, a good portion of a year, it was hard to find the joyful moments. And looking back, I feel like I robbed her of, you know, tickle fights on the floor or, you know, fun, you know, experiences or things that we just weren't in the right mind frame or mindset for. Um, so those are pieces, you know, we can't get back to, but things that we think about now that we really try to make sure we're setting right in terms of family connectedness. But absolutely. I mean, for anyone experiencing hardships in their personal life, it's really hard to figure out, man, how do I, how do I do things well then at work? Or how do I do things well in this particular role? It's when even aside from the aspect of having to keep showing up, which I feel like can be difficult because there are days in grief where it is just a challenge to even put on pants. Right. And when you think about having to, you know, do a client meeting or do Mm -hmm. a press event or whatever it is that you have to do, or I, I honestly can't even imagine having to raise a human while going through that. There's that aspect, but there's also the aspect of, going through your grief with everyone around you, sort of not knowing how to be a part of it with you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of times people say, um, well-intentioned, but really stupid things when Mm. we are grieving. Um, I've had a lot of people say things, you know, well, everything happens for a reason, or they try to silver line the cloud and, I think sometimes it comes from a place of good intention of wanting to, you know, take away the pain, but it also can add guilt or shame. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I should be, I should be silver lining. I should be painting this into my Oprah story right now. And I'm curious for you, because I know that you are surrounded by a lot of people. You're very well known in the community. What was that like going through all these different situations from, you know, losing your house in high school to losing your son as an adult. What was that like being surrounded by other people trying to silver line your clouds and having to navigate grief while also feeling kind of that pressure, I guess, to respond to others? Well, Yeah, you really do get all sorts of reactions um, and comments. I find, I mean, (laughs) being an optimist myself, I find myself looking for silver linings, um, which is a whole other issue in and of itself. But people bringing that to me is tough. Um, hearing other people's perspectives 
and minimizing it. It feels like they're minimizing that situation, right? So that is something I think all humans should be aware of, right? Um, when people are overcoming hardships, going through something that's incredibly painful or experiencing grief, it is really important to meet them where they are. Um, sometimes that isn't the right moment to figure out the plan or the next steps or how you move through it. Um, and I have even, you know, I've had several years pass and every day, you know, some days I feel like I'm, I'm winning, I'm thriving, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all the things and I still am grieving my son every day. Um, and some people think I should have moved on already, you know, and, and those types of things. It's not that I am not moving forward, but he is a part of my life. Um, he is part of what shaped my identity and will continue to, and he will still have a place in our family. Um, so that can definitely be hard when you're hearing outside perspectives. Um, one of the things that you said, everything happens for a reason. Oh man, that, that's it a big bothers one. me at every, like in every part of who I am, I have so much contempt for that phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, of all the things that people say, that one is just, it's very difficult for me to not make a face and or give a lecture. There, if I'm just considering my story, there is no reason why my son can't be alive. But yeah, I mean, there's, I, I don't think parents should lose children. I don't think that that should be a thing. <laughs> I mean, I understand, I understand life. I understand how it works, but you know, that is just really, um, a very big cross to bear. And I wish that weren't so, um, and to, have some, somebody just say, everything happens for a reason, or, or perhaps that reason will become visible one day, is really infuriating. It really is. Um, but I, too, critically analyze a whole lot of things. And, you know, if I am one piece of a much bigger puzzle, you know, perhaps there is a ripple effect in the universe um, where that is what needed to happen, but that's not what needed to happen to me and in my life and how I feel about it. Um, and in, in my experience, you know, um, and even knowing that so much good has come in the world because of my son's struggle and ultimately his death, that does not justify it for me either. I don't get warm and fuzzies over the fact that, that there's like, like a cause and effect. Um, however, I do think of him now, my son Blake, as my North Star. Um, and for me, you know, building healthy habits and making him proud is kind of my direction. But as in terms of other people's 
perspectives and the silver lining, I just don't see it. I don't see it that way. Yeah. How do you, (laughs) I do not. Um, I'm curious how you respond when you run into that. And I, I remember a particular instance, um, where, you know, my, my partner left in the final phase of an adoption when there were baby clothes in the closet, I was in full mom mode and that loss, um, was nothing like what you went through, but the loss of mom, the loss of that dream was by far the the hardest loss I've ever had to process. It was incredibly painful. I could not look at a baby or child for a good two years without mm. just falling apart. And I remember being at this event uh, and this somewhat religious person uh, asked me about my age and am I single and kind of prying into my life. And they made this comment about how, um, you know, God would really want me to be married and not divorced and have kids. And, you know, millennials are just getting really selfish with not wanting to have kids these days. And they just went on to this rant about how basically I was a selfish millennial for not wanting to be married and have children. Wow. I, it was the only time I feel like I was very gracious with all the other responses, but that was one where I was like, can I tell you my life experience and what I went through? So maybe you might want to like shut your mouth before you have an opinion because you have no idea how many women are struggling with infertility or how many women have lost a child. And it's none of your damn business anyway. Absolutely. Bobby. Um, so how do you respond when people say things to you or, try to tell you how to feel or grieve? Like, how do you process those interactions? How do you respond? Well, that woman you interacted with sounds extremely ignorant and and completely lacks self-awareness, right? I mean, fortunately, a lot more of these topics are, are coming to light. There's more conversation about it. And hopefully you feel more comfortable talking about, um, your experiences you know, with so many others too, um, that, that likely share them or can relate to it. Um, but yeah, I have had people tell me, so now I have since had another daughter, um, and she's two, my older daughter is eight. And, um, my husband and I have both had instances where people tell us we should, um, we should have a boy. Um, you know, and we're missing out on the boy experience. I'm like, oh yeah, well, thank you. Um, but I really um shut down in those moments, which probably isn't healthy, but I don't really give those people the time of day because there's so much emotion and so much it just becomes very intense for me in the moment. Um And they don't get it. They don't get it. And they don't know, um, which is unfortunate. But we all need to be mindful that everybody has their own path and everyone has their own story and everyone has their own hardships. And, you know, their story shouldn't be your story. And, you know, it, it, it just... 
We don't need to be cookie cutters. Um, and it is extremely hard when somebody is opinionated enough or feels as though the way that they see it is the right way. But um, I don't know how you responded in that instance or or in others, but really, I I would probably bite back emotionally. So it's better for me to, to just not say anything if that person is not really a part of my life. If it's somebody that's closer to me, then I absolutely will have the conversation to make sure that they can understand my perspective or really the deeper, um, the deeper challenges that I'm facing. And again, that just comes from me being willing to be open and not everybody's comfortable with that. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a challenge in boundary setting as well, because I think that there are times where, you know, you need to have that conversation and sort of explain, Hey, I need you to maybe think about this other point of view. And I need to explain why, what you're doing is not healthy for me or why I don't appreciate it. But I think sometimes when you have those really strong personalities in your life that Mm -hmm don't hear you. They, they don't acknowledge that you grieve differently and they just kind of want to steamroll. It becomes really challenging to then almost, you know, you don't want to be dramatic and cut people out of your life, but I feel like sometimes when you're grieving, you're sort of just at your end. And if someone pokes a little too much, it just, Mm. you have to. So have you ever experienced that where, um, the things or events that you've gone through have changed your friendships or relationships. Well, a couple things. Um, my mom, while she was alive, um, really did not lead with vulnerability. Um, She had a very hard time processing um, my son's death and other experiences in her life. And um, when my son died, we had to have the conversation that we were going to talk about him, that it was healthy for me to be able to talk about him. Um, and that he was going to continue to be a part of our life and our story in some way. Um, and that was really tough for her because she would have rather, it was more comfortable for her to not talk about it. So it was painful and she would have preferred to bury it. Um, so that was a big disconnect and, really sad because it wasn't that much longer before she got sick. Um, But that was a very difficult conversation that um, was emotionally charged when all of this was going on. Separately, um, we have had in, in situations where you are really faced with an obstacle or you're, or you're faced with something really challenging or you're experiencing grief, it is interesting to see who shows up and the people that don't. 
So I know you're talking about particular instances where maybe they're saying the wrong thing, but there are also people that we saw as good friends and, um, you know, people that have been in our lives um, regularly that either did not know how to deal with these situations or chose not to show up. Um, and that was really disheartening. Um, I do appreciate actually some of the people that maybe said the wrong thing, um, in those cases more because they were trying than some of the people that just didn't, they didn't show up. Yeah. I, I can definitely understand that. And I one of the other things that I know you've talked about is just paint, finding those good moments. And I think that what you were able to do with Good Deeds for Blake was so incredible. It it has transformed not just the community, but it has spread everywhere. I'm on the other end of the country and it reached me on social media. And it it's absolutely incredible. And I'm wondering how you navigate that space between contentment and appreciating who you are and where you're at and the good that has come from everything while also honoring those real invalid feelings and almost longing for a different reality. And I know that's something that I've really wrestled with because similarly, I've used my story a lot. It's launched my career. It's a podcast of Jenna speaking to her mm-hmm. and great. I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. And I'm glad that everything that I went through brought me where I am. However, to just say, oh, well, all of that was really great that it happened because look where it brought you. And so obviously it's all great. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't sit well with me because there's still mm-hmm. a part of me that's like, well, I would still rather a different reality. Like it still sucked. And so yeah. how do you navigate that space of doing good, creating good, but also not letting that dismiss everything else. Sarah, I struggle with that every day. (laughs) I, at one point I had come across this term that was post-traumatic growth Mm. and this realization of accepting the situation and they're actually being a, a more positive outcome, you know, for me, I think um, I have become more self-confident. I have felt um, more focused. I feel uh, more grounded. There's a lot of actual um, really great personal personal growth, personal things that I think um, have have luckily touched me in a positive way coming out of some of these experiences. Um, But there's not one minute of any day that I would not have rather the alternative. Um, And I, again, think that there's a lot of benefit in accepting the situation for what it is and also being okay that both sides of the coin can be true. 
and that the feelings that come along with those two sides are also valid. Um, and so there are days where, you know, I, um, you know, people connect with me or my story or, um, share something wonderful that came out of it for them. And all of those things I am so, I am inspired by, and maybe they were inspired by Blake's story. And I love that. And then there's also the moments of, I can't believe this is our story. And I, and sometimes I just want to curl up in a ball, you know? I mean, I, I every day I'm like, I can't believe this is our reality. I, I really can't believe that this is what we're living. And I do live in like this really polarizing place where our experience was, you know, I mean, I, I'm really glad that we got an extra year and a half of life with him, but it was a very, very challenging year and a half. And ultimately to lose him was a different level of a, a different, you know, it's like, you don't want to be in the club with people who have critically ill children. That's already a very, very challenging place to be and to be a caregiver and doing the best you can to again keep all these balls in the air and then you also don't want to be in the club of the grieving parents um and connecting with people um there it's it's a it's i don't i don't wish that for anybody um but with those things also grew some beautiful realities and some beautiful stories. And those things have been really inspiring and uplifting for me, for my husband, for my family. Um, and I'm so thankful for those because otherwise we would just be living in this misery. And so I am grateful that we have this balance, but it is very complicated to live in both spaces. Yeah. I, what do you do when you have those moments of, you know, I, those moments of this is not the story I want to be in. I feel like I, I remember saying that over and over, um, in the heat of things and just being like, I, I cannot get on board with this story. I cannot get on board with this becoming the chapter and mm -hmm. that reluctance or resistance, I think got in the way of a lot of progress and healing initially for me, because I just could not accept it. It took a long time for me to mm -hmm. even kind of get to a place where I could kind of start to spin it. Like, what do you do when you, when you find yourself in this story that you're just, you're kind of stuck in? Well. I think that actually brings up a good point about differentiating resilience and numbness. Mm -hmm. I think it's there's right there's not a a right or wrong amount of time to move through the emotion. There is not a right amount of time to feel like 
okay, we're on to the next thing, or we're starting the next chapter, or we're turning the page. And some days you might feel like you're there. And the next day you're, you know, you've, you've retreated. <laughs> um, but I think in the moments, which can still be part of the healing process, to me, there is kind of a, a, a safety or a protection in the numbness um, and allowing whatever is happening to actually resonate, resonate, you know, and sometimes it's hard to feel the feelings that might come along with that. But I think that that's an important part of the process. Um, but to me, the difference between the numbness and the resilience is the progress. To me, there's a, a safety in the numbness space. But at some point, whatever point, there's not a certain amount of time you have to be willing to move forward. And I feel like that's where the breakthrough can happen. And again, it might not be linear. It might be back and forth. But I think that that level of preservation, self-preservation or allowing, you know, it's, it's going through the acceptance process or is this, can this really be my story? Is this really what's happening right now? I am not okay with that or whatever, whatever reality you're struggling with. Um, I think that that's a very natural part of the process and it's not, you know, you can't just automatically bounce back. Yeah, that's just the resilience piece. I don't feel like is a natural, you know, you just kick it into gear. There's a, yeah. there's, you have to be able to be able to process what's actually happening and be at a point where you're able to move forward. When sometimes it's just about surviving. I think yes. that, you know, we, we hear all these Oprah stories. We read all these books about people who went through terrible things and it turned into something amazing and it's all inspiring. And I feel like, especially for me growing up very religiously, where I had a lot of that in my head of like, you know, God does everything for a reason. Everything has to have purpose. And um, it's very challenging to feel like, okay, I'm barely surviving, but now I have all this pressure to spin this into a meaningful story. I have all this pressure to spin this into something good. And sometimes I think resilience just starts with just surviving. If you can just exist, if you put on pants for the day, that's a win. Like you don't have to jump right into thriving. And I think also one of the challenges with being resilient and you have had to go through so many situations where you've had to show resilience is that people almost start to look at resilient people like superheroes and it's almost like, oh, you're so strong. You're so resilient. You don't need any help or support because you've overcome so much. You got this. And as the strong, resilient person, you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm having a day where I'm barely keeping it together. How do you, do you ever run into that? Do you ever feel like there's that superhero mentality or that it's changed people's perception of you? And how do you handle those days where it's just about surviving? 
I think that's most of the days. I, I mean, from the outside perspective, I mean, maybe it's, I, I'm happy to say that, you know, I've gotten to the point where I do have days where I feel like I'm thriving. I do have days where I have found joy and I am feel like I'm making um, progress in my life and painting or putting together this new mosaic. Um, I am happy that I'm at a place where I can say that out loud. And I feel like that's true. Is that thriving? I don't know. I mean, a lot of the days I do feel like I am surviving. I am navigating these complicated emotions. I am trying to juggle all of the different roles that I have in my life. I'm, I am, you know, honestly, like we started failing at some of them <laughs> regularly. So it's hard to feel like you've got it all buttoned up. Um, and I certainly feel like the farthest thing from a superhero um, and don't paint myself that way at all. I feel like I am a survivor and I feel like I have navigated really hard things and, you know, I'll continue to do so as life throws them at me, but I'm not tempting the universe. I'm not, I'm not asking for more. That's for sure. But I do think that there are certain traits. I do think that there are like factors of resilience that some people maybe have naturally and others need to learn. Um, and maybe I have a combination of, of those. Um, but I certainly don't feel like I've you know, I, I have the magic answer. That's, that's for sure. Um, but that network that you're talking about, that sometimes may be the one to think you've got it all under control. That network is who I'm going to be leaning on and being very vulnerable with and, and, and very honest. And even though they may think, you know, oh, she's okay. There's going to be those that I lean on when I'm not okay. Um, and I think being, building that connectivity or having those go-to people and having that social support or that family support, um, sometimes it's not your family, but having those key people in your life, that is really important, I think, to any person um, in their resilience. Um and certainly learning from your own experiences, you know, that's another piece too, that it's important that some of the key pieces from other things that you have experienced or the people around you, that you start finding, you know, the takeaways and developing your own tools and, and, and figuring out how to deal with certain situations and if you don't have the answer, but you know somebody else has experienced it, not being ashamed to connect with that person and, and have them, you know, as a guide or a confidant or somebody that you can connect with who can also become part of that support system, you know? Yeah. Um, another one, you know, that stands out to me is self-care. Um. 
I'm sure this is something that you have had to navigate to through very difficult circumstances. Um, and there's often not time for it. And I know that I often put myself last as a lot of people do. Um, but I also think it is important to find that time for yourself. Um, and whether it be something small, like even 10 minutes in the morning or before you go to bed or going for a walk or just getting some fresh air or, you know, I don't know, soon after, it was maybe like a few weeks after Blake passed away was the first time that I went for a pedicure and it was just an hour that was not in the chaos of everything else happening. And I was left alone with my thoughts, which was maybe good or maybe not, but it was definitely a step towards, I need to just have a few minutes for myself and do something that's going to help me in that moment. Um, whether it just be relaxing or, or, or whatnot. Um, and um, for me, another big one is actually creating healthy habits. Um, it's really easy to go down the wrong path, especially in really difficult situations. Finding things to help you cope are often bad habits or, you know, could be, um, you know, just not healthy long-term. Um, and I was really lucky in this instance for, well, with, if we're talking about my son in particular, um, creating a space where honoring him was doing something good, kept me focused on that path. And it felt good for me to give back it felt good for me to connect with others. It felt good for me to feel like I'm doing something positive and I'm doing it in honor of somebody that I love dearly. And it keeps his name alive and um, my love for him, right? And that for me was a very healthy way to channel these very negative emotions. Yeah. Um, but it can be really hard for different people, you know, especially if, you know, they come from families struggling with addiction or, you know, with different mental health challenges or whatever people face, which everybody, everybody has their challenges. I don't feel like, I mean, I don't feel like life's obstacles discriminate. It might feel like that sometimes, but everybody, everybody has them. And it's just about how transparent they are. Um, and so making sure that you're taking care of yourself and that you're creating healthy habits, I think are really, that's a really important piece of it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also largely what you said about changing the narrative to refer to yourself as a survivor and not a victim. Mm -hmm. that a lot of times when we go through difficult things, there's a temptation to feel like, why is this happening to me? Like, oh, I have such a rough life. And it, I think that victim mentality 
robs more joy than any circumstance itself ever could because Mm. we start to data mine and we look for evidence that supports this idea that we're a victim. And we look for evidence that supports that the world is out to get us rather than leaning into this idea of appreciation and love for ourselves of, wow, I'm a survivor. I've gone through tough things, but there's also really great things. And I feel like that that mindset is really important. And with doing something good for other people, it also kind of reminds us to get out of that, I guess that selfish zone. Um, Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a little that when we're experiencing something that's personal to us. But I think that doing things for other people, getting out in the world is also a good reminder of, you know what, this sucks, but I am not the only person who's going through heartache. I am not the only person who has even gone through this specific type of heartache. And so I think that that, that mindset and selflessness, I feel like can really tie into resilience. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, another piece is, is grounding yourself in gratitude. Mm -hmm. It can be really overwhelming, whatever situation you're facing, it can be really daunting and really overwhelming and sometimes really dark. Um, but in many ways we are all still very lucky and there's a lot to still be grateful for. Um, even if sometimes the world is seemingly bleak. Yeah. Um, and I struggled with that for a while too, because when I was in a very dark place, it was the, the things that I was grateful for seemed so minimal. Um, but in reality, you know, even if you, if you're able to take a look at what is happening in the world and in different parts of um, different parts of the country, different parts of different nations, some of the natural disasters. Again, people are affected by so many of these items: disaster, disease, disability, all over the world, and sometimes not. Um, you know, they might not have the resources that we have, or they might not have the accessibility to um, things that we do, or the connectivity that we do. Um, and and there are always things um, that make that that make our story worth telling, that make our lives worth living that, um, we can still choose to be grateful for. Yeah. And I I think it's a lot about redistributing weight and kind of going back to your earlier point of keeping the good with the bad. I think that one of the reluctances I had to gratitude initially was that it felt like if I celebrated gratitude and good things, that was dismissive. Like it was in Mm. somehow not honoring or acknowledging that a shit pile is a shit pile. And Sometimes shit pile can be a shit pile, but you can also be thankful all at the same time. Um, So I feel like that it's more about just redistributing the weight, I think, and Mm -hmm. bringing that into normal practice. And I am curious, what would you tell someone who wants to foster better resilience? Like what, what is it that you dig into in those moments, what would you tell someone who is maybe, um, struggling to find that within themselves? 
first and foremost, hold on. Every, I, I think that it's okay to be where they are. Um, and it's okay if it takes time. And it's okay that it be on your timeline and not what somebody else's timeline might be for you. Um, but that it is also okay to feel multiple feelings at once. It's okay to not feel guilty um, by experiencing joys or laughter. Um, and sometimes it might be small. Um, and it's okay if it's big. If, if there's a moment and it ends up with, you know, a belly laugh, that's great. It's okay to be in both worlds at the same time. And it's just going to take time. Um, but that each person can really take a look at what they do have in their life. I would say ground yourself in gratitude. Remind yourself that there is hope and that a new mosaic can be put back together and it will happen. Absolutely. Well, Leah, thank you so much. And before we jump off, if you want to just share a minute about Good Deeds for Blake and how people can be involved if they would like to be. Sure. Well, um, we are asking people all around the world to do something that is meaningful to them. Um, and it can be a random act of kindness or something big or small for someone they know, but some sort of good deed um, that brings a smile to somebody else's face or helps somebody else out. It's all in honor of my son, Blake, but it's uh, a deed that represents and um, is beneficial to you personally. And Essentially, we ask that people go to the website forblake.org, share their story, whether they are the giver or the recipient of a good deed for Blake, and actually pin the location on the map. And it's actually a very cool feature because as you zoom in on the map, you can see that this wave of positivity and random acts of kindness, um, there are thousands across the nation, and it's really exciting to see how it has created this ripple effect beyond the nation. That's awesome. Well, Leah, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story. And I'm just so appreciative. And for anyone listening, would love to hear your thoughts or comments. Send us an email at embrace the ish at gmail.com or hang out with us online at successfulish.com or Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at embrace the ish. Success and failure, none of opposite ends. Curveball hits, gotta know where to bend. The attitude will affect destination. Interview determines when you're gonna make it. Live between successes, makes life rich. Living every moment, successfulish. Live between successes, makes life rich. Living every moment, successfulish. Hey, successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. 
might reinvest hope with Then I roll up my sleeve Successfulish Another day, another task Think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfulish Pick up the weight, press on And act on the visions to see I'm successfulish Sit back and bask in the glory Of all the goals I achieved Successfulish Lose a stack, get it back Reinvest hope with Then I roll up my sleeve hey. All this weight on my arms Need both flex In this race, put behind me most steps Had a the learning curve Hope I don't crash Hit your nerves when reserves Got low cash When I fail, realize that it won't last You made it through in the past Just look back Successfulish You can see how the contrast Failures and wins Use the past and the bounce back You can never win If you never go and do it Failure is a hard road Rarely ever cruising Embracing all my wins With a handful of losing Expect the drought season When the plan's going fluent I can never really fail It's all how you view it It's all a lesson Just depends how you use it Get all the data And keep it all exclusive Never ending journey And the growth is therapeutic My identity is not in what you see I am the better me Mistakes others make I see Have it teaching me Compare yourself to others Is an insult to tragedy We will make unique Gotta use again collectively Broke down my goals And a few look toesome Can't take them back Cause you already spoke them Easily regressive You don't stay focused Focus Live between success Every moment Another day, another task Think fast with a whole nother mission complete I'm successfulish Pick up the weight, press on And act on the visions to see I'm successfulish Sit back and bask in the glory Of all the goals I achieved Successfulish Lose a stack, get it back Reinvest, hope with Then I roll up my sleeve I'm successfulish Another day, another task Think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfulish Pick up the weight, press on And act on the visions to see I'm successfulish Sit back and bask in the glory Of all the goals I achieved Successfulish Lose a stack, get it back Reinvest Hope wait, then I roll up my sleeve. <laughs>